before we begin to hear from God's word, let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to feed us by your word, that this book, even though it is so old and some parts of it are so ancient, that it continues to speak to us today. It is alive and living and powerful. We pray that you will speak to us clearly by your word today, that we will be ready to listen and that through listening to your word preached we may become more like your son, Jesus Christ. pray this in your son's name. Amen. This morning I want to begin by asking a question. What comforts you? What gives you comfort? There was recently a national study of teenagers and they got 12 groups of teenagers into focus groups and asked them to describe the perfect day for them, the most comfortable day where they would have all the comforts that they really love, where they could call all the shots. And most of the responses of these teenagers included international shopping sprees at the world's trendiest and most expensive destinations. So the Of course they want to go shopping but they don't want to go shopping locally, they want to go overseas and it has to be in trendy, expensive places and then they describe in the evenings of that comfortable day they would attend nightclub openings and not just normal nightclubs but they wanted to go ones that were frequented and owned by celebrities, by stars, places where they'd be able to meet celebrities, that's where they want to go, that would give them the most comfort. But what comforts you? Is it going overseas? Is it shopping? I mean, we sometimes talk about retail therapy. You go shopping when you want comfort. But there's other things that we look to for comfort. We talk about creature comforts. We talk about air conditioning and heating. Uh, Air conditioning in the summer, I'm not sure I'd be able to live without it at times. But of course, air conditioning is only a recent invention. And uh, growing up, I didn't have it. And for thousands of years, people haven't had air conditioning. But sometimes we think, you know, if I want to be most comfortable, I need the air conditioning or I need the heating. And then, of course, we talk about comfort food. I'm very guilty of, uh, of going to food for comfort. Even I had exams just a couple of weeks ago and while I was studying you know, in the library I, I knew Jill was going, my wife Jill was going to the shops and I said, oh, it's exam time, please pick me up something yummy to eat tonight so that I can stress less. You know, so I, I, I'm very guilty of turning to food for comfort. But what comforts you? What gives you most comfort? Well, this is something that is a real problem. We, we, we do need to be comforted and God knows this and he gives us a great message of comfort. And he particularly gives that message that I want to look at this morning is in Isaiah 40. So if you have your Bibles there, open up to Isaiah 40 and we'll be working through the passage. We'll be working through this message of comfort that God has for his people. And so my first main point there this morning from Isaiah 40 is about how is this message of comfort to be administered. So there is a message of comfort, but God speaks specifically about how it is to be administered. And that's what he opens the passage with. In Isaiah 40 verse 1 it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That word comfort, repeated twice there in verse 1, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's in the imperative. So it's a command. So it's being said to someone, do this, comfort someone. And comfort my people is the person that's meant to be comforted. But is God saying it just to Isaiah? This this word has come to Isaiah. Is he just telling Isaiah, comfort my people? 
No, well, the, the word in the Hebrew is in the plural, so it's actually spoken to many people. It's, it's been, Isaiah's telling many people, comfort, comfort my people. So it's a command for many people to do. They're meant to be doing the comforting. So who would these people be? Well, obviously, the leaders of Israel and the leaders of God's people are meant to be comforting and encouraging uh, God's people all the time. But even God's people themselves are meant to be fellow encouragers. We're meant to be always supporting each other and carrying each other's burdens. And so this message of uh, this command to comfort is being given to all of God's people and so that they all are comforting one another with this message that Isaiah is about to reveal to us. So firstly, uh, about how this message of comfort is to be administered, we see that it's to be done by many people, it's been to be done by all of God's people, but it's also to be done uh, in, a, in a particular way and of course uh, we see by saying the word comfort twice, comfort, comfort, is there something to be learnt in that, that it's being said twice? Why doesn't God just say, comfort my people? Is it the way that we treat children when you give them a command? This is a command from God. When you tell them the first time, they don't always hear it and so you need to tell them again and again to do what you want them to do. Is, it, is that the reason why he's saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God? So when you say to your child, clean your room, they don't go and do it the first time. You need to tell them again and maybe again and again. That could be it, but I'm, I'm more going along the lines of that when people need to be comforted, they often don't hear you the first time. If you've had any dealing with people who are really upset or clinically depressed, when you've got a message of comfort, when you're going to encourage them and try and support them, they don't hear you the first time. And it takes often a repeated occurrence and many occurrences often to get them to hear the message of comfort that you have for them. And so as this command is given to all of God's people, we don't just do it once and say, that's it, I've completed that command, now what's next? And we're going through a list of God's laws, what do we have to complete? No, we're meant to be doing it repeatedly. As we see people distressed around us, we're meant to give this message of comfort repeatedly. And then we're meant to give it in a particular way. It says there in verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to God's people and proclaim to her. We're meant to do it tenderly. In the Hebrew this actually says, Speak to the heart. And this phrase is actually used in uh, other places in the Bible and one place in particular is in Genesis 34 where we see uh, Shechem wanting to uh, win over the heart of Dinah, Jacob's daughter, and so he speaks tenderly to her. So the picture is of a man wooing a girl. He's speaking uh, really softly and nicely and trying to attract her to him. And that's how we're meant to be administering this message of comfort. We're meant to be speaking it in a winsome way, in a nice way, not in a harsh and horrible manner towards a person. We're meant to be speaking uh, softly and tenderly to them, speak to their heart. But we also are to proclaim it, it says there in verse 2, proclaim to her. So it's not like we, when we, if we go along with that, that picture of a man wooing a girl, sometimes things are said that may not necessarily be true. Sometimes I love you comes out a bit too early in the relationship and may not necessarily be true. And so, uh, but 
It says proclaim to her, it's cry out in the Hebrew. It, it means that this is true, this is a fact and, and we're meant to be saying things that are honest and true. This message of comfort is a truthful message and so when we speak this message of tenderness we, we can be sure that it's true and we can proclaim it to them, tell the person facts that are coming through. So that is how the, the comfort is to be administered. There's a couple of points there about how the message of comfort is to be administered and that was my first main point. My second main point is then what is the message of comfort? We know how it's to be administered but what is exactly this message of comfort that God has for his people? Well, it's broken up into three parts quite nicely for us in the Hebrew uh, and then in the NIV translation by the word that. So you can see in verse 2... Isaiah 40 verse 2, it says that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So there's three parts all introduced by the same Hebrew word key which is translated as that. So we have, and firstly then we have that her hard service has been completed. That's the first part of this message of comfort. But what does it mean to have her hard service completed. Well, that word hard service can actually mean warfare and that is very true. When Before we become a person of God, before we become one of God's people, before we become a Christian, we're at war with God. We are not in a peaceful, loving relationship with him. We're in a rebellious relationship. We're an enemy of God. But when we become one of God's children, when we become one of his people, our hard service, our warfare has been completed. We are no longer an enemy of God. We are one of his children. We are actually adopted into his family. We aren't just one of his friends. We are completely at peace with him. We are in relationship with him. And so that is a wonderful message of comfort. If we come as non-Christians to know that our hard service, our warfare against God has been completed... And that is a wonderful news to hear. It is good news. But what is the second part of this message of comfort? That her sin has been paid for. So this again is speaking of before you become a Christian, we have sin and we will have to pay for it one day. That is the message of the Bible is that sin, there is wage for sin, isn't there? And that is hell and condemnation for eternity. But God gives this wonderful message of comfort to his people that their sin has been paid for. And how is it paid for? Well, the way that word uh, paid for has been translated there, in the Hebrew it actually uh, is often used in reference to sacrifices, in the way that we pay for sin with a sacrifice. And of course the ultimate sacrifice is Jesus Christ. That is the sacrifice that pays for all sin. The animal sacrifices in the Old Testament never paid for sin. They never took away sin. They were simply a shadow of the great and ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And so that is the, the root of this message of comfort is that her sin has, our sin as God's people has been paid for in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then the third part of the message of comfort ties in with that, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that's quite a, a difficult part of the Bible to understand. When I first read that, I, I thought, because it says that she has received from the Lord's 
hand double for all her sins, it makes it sound like God's punished twice for something that was only really deserved to be punished once. That God's people have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now there's a couple of uh, suggestions for how to understand this verse and one is that in the Jewish culture when you had a debt to be paid you'd write it out on a piece of paper and then when it was paid you'd actually fold it down so you'd double the piece of paper over and so then the debt was seen to be paid and it, it was no longer owing. Now that's one way to possibly understand it but another way that I prefer is that uh, when it speaks of doubly being paid, it is more speaking of it is sufficiently paid, it is completely paid and this ties in very well with what happened at the cross with Jesus Christ, that sacrifice on the cross was of infinite value. It was more than sufficient to pay for many people's sins and no matter what sins they had committed. Sometimes we we think, oh, there's some sins in my life that I'm not sure God could forgive. I've done some really terrible things and can he really pay for those sins as well as so many other people's sins, so many Christians that I know, can he really pay for all of those? And the answer is yes, he can because it was not just a man dying at the cross, it was God Jesus was both God and man and so his sacrifice is of infinite value because it was God who gave his life that day for the payment of sins and so it is of sufficient value for all sins that we might commit. We do not have to fear that something we have done is so grievous that God cannot forgive it and that we will have to be punished one day. In, uh, if you're Roman Catholic, you might have purgatory. You think that there's some things that we will have to pay for one day. Or I might have to spend some time in hell and then go over into heaven. No, it says here that uh, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It is completely paid because that sacrifice was of such great value. So we've seen that my, uh, how the comfort is to be administered. We've seen what is this great message of comfort. My third main point this morning is what needs to happen before this message of comfort can be truly accepted. So this is basically the fine print. We've been given a message of comfort, but what do we need to do? Is there anything we need to do? And that comes in at verse 3 where we read, A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Now what does it mean to prepare a way for the Lord? I mean we have a a similar thing where someone important is coming and we prepare the way for them so that they can have a a journey that is is comfortable for them and we see this with uh, even today. I haven't actually seen uh, any video of the Queen coming to an area today uh, of of recent times but I'm sure they still roll out a red carpet for her to walk along. And and it was the same with, I I vaguely remember when we had the Olympics in, in Sydney reading in a newspaper article that when they were trying to woo the delegates over to having the games in Sydney that when they travelled from the airport they made sure all the traffic lights would be green so they'd think it was a very quick trip to where they were holding the Olympics so they'd say, oh yes, it's quite convenient to have them in, in Sydney and so they made the way nice and smooth for them to journey along 
And it's the same with God. It says, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. We're meant to prepare a way. But how do we prepare a way for the Lord? What does it mean to prepare a way, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God? Well, whenever we can, it's always best to look at what the rest of Scripture says about a particular verse and that's why this morning we looked at Luke chapter 3. We've had a Bible reading from Luke chapter 3 and it actually quotes from Isaiah. And so we see this, this passage in Isaiah of a highway being prepared in the desert, preparing a way for the Lord, is, is being literally fulfilled partly by John the Baptist where he comes and it's said of him that he is a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And what does he say to the people that come to him What does he say that they're to do to prepare a way for the Lord? Well, we read there in verse verse 8, he says, John the Baptist says to the people, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then in verse 9 he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying that the way you prepare a way for the Lord is by producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Before this message of comfort can be taken as our own, we have to repent of our ways and begin to produce good fruit for God. We can't say this message of comfort is for us and then, and then continue in our way. We can't take it on as our sins are covered. We don't have to worry anymore. We have to repent of our sins. This message of comfort can only be truly accepted when we repent and see our deeds for what they really are, our evil deeds for what they are. They are bad fruit. And what happens to trees that produce bad fruit? It says there in verse 9, they are cut down and thrown into the fire. We need to repent of our evil ways before this message of comfort can come to us. And so if we want to push the illustration a little more, I came up with a few ideas about how uh, we produce... uh, the prepare a way for the Lord because in verse 4 of Isaiah 40 turning back to Isaiah 40 verse 4 it says every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low and rough ground shall become level and the rugged places are plain every valley shall be raised up what's an example of raising ourselves up it would be in the knowledge of God before we were a Christian we have very little knowledge of God and we may have read the Bible but we don't truly know God We need to raise our knowledge of God to have this message of comfort. We need to know who God is. We need to know who Jesus is. We can't believe in someone we haven't ever heard about. We need to raise the valley of our knowledge of God. And then it says every mountain and hill be made low. That could be, of course, uh, lowering ourselves in our pride. Before we become a Christian, we are very proud. And the message of comfort is a humbling message that we cannot do anything for ourselves when it comes to our salvation. The only thing we can do is repent and believe in Jesus Christ. None of our good works are sufficient for our salvation and that's a very offensive message for us to hear and it really hurts our pride. We need to humble ourselves before God and come to him in repentance and then 
he comes to us with this great message of comfort. We see that there in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Once we've made the straight path, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. The glory of the Lord comes once we repent and humble ourselves before him, increase our knowledge of him. Then the glory of the Lord comes and it's not just a message for the Jews. I mean, we've seen earlier, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Is this message only for the Jews? Or is it only for another particular people group? No, verse 5 says, And all mankind, literally in the, in the Hebrew it's all flesh. So all flesh, all people with flesh on their bones, they're the ones that will see it. This message is for all people who believe and repent of their sinfulness. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't repented and believed, then know that what John warns about is going to happen, that the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be thrown into fire, into hell forever and ever. Have you repented of your sins? Have you prepared a way for the Lord? It is an offensive thing to hear some, uh, for us to hear that we need to humble ourselves before God and that Jesus is the only way, that this is the only way of salvation. Have you done that? So that was my third main point, uh, what needs to happen before the message of comfort can be truly accepted. My fourth main point is, is this message of comfort certain? Is there a certainty with this message of comfort? And that's there in verse we see a voice says cry out and I said what shall I cry all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them surely the people are grass the reason we always doubt messages of comfort is because we know this text in our hearts. We, we've, we've already seen this. All men are like grass. We know that when people promise us some sort of comfort, they, they promise us some sort of salvation from any distress, any suffering that we have, we know that it's not always certain because men are like grass. When politicians make promises about how they can save our country from certain things, we're always a little bit doubtful and we, we wonder, will they really be able to fulfil that promise? Will they fulfil it? And we know partly because they are like grass. They may not always be there to fulfil it, particularly with election terms. You know, they only go for so long. But even when we have a promise from a father to his, his son or his daughter, they say, I will always do this for you. It's not necessarily going to be, he's not necessarily going to be able to fulfil that because he is like grass. One day he will wither and die. It may be the very next day. So we always, when we hear a promise of salvation, a promise of comfort, we doubt it. And that's not to say that we can do things that are, are nice and, and good and, and do things that are comforting to others. And that is seen there in uh, verse 6. It says, All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The word their glory is actually the word that is often used in reference to God of his mercy and kindness, uh, his loving kindness. 
And so it's talking about men having a, a loving kindness and mercy to one another. But in the end, they're just like pretty flowers in the field. They are pretty acts, they are nice, they are good. So when we give to uh, overseas funds to help out orphans and to uh, give relief to those who are suffering, it is good and it is, it is pleasing, it, it looks great, it's like a pretty flower. I mean, I don't really appreciate flowers so I, I can't work too much with this point. But sometimes you can see them and go, yeah, that's pretty good, but uh, not necessarily worth buying. But uh, yeah, the flowers are, are good looking and it's the same with the acts that we do. They can be good looking, but what happens to them? They're like the flowers of the field. It says the grass withers and the flowers fall. They will eventually fall. They are nothing in the end. Uh, they, they have no long-term solution. They, the only thing that has a long-term solution is from God and we see that there in verse 8, it says, The grass withers, it repeats it again, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You see the comparison that he's making there? Whenever we hear a message of comfort, a message of salvation, we doubt it. We think, oh, can it really happen? Because we've been burnt so many other times when we've had some sort of message of comfort. But this message is different. It is because it's from God. And what is God's word? It is a word that stands forever. It is not like a pretty flower that is beautiful one day and is gone the next. It will always continue to be pretty and beautiful and increase in its uh, prettiness as we uh, one day will die and go to heaven and see God face to face. We will be there with Jesus. That message of salvation is certain and true. It's not like any other message of comfort that we may come across from any human that may make us a promise. So my first main point was uh, how do we administer the message of comfort and then we looked at what is the message of comfort and then thirdly what do we need to do to accept the message of comfort and now we've seen that it's a certain message. Isaiah now says, and this is my fifth main point, what the people who receive the message of comfort are to do. What are they to do? And it's there in verse 9. Isaiah says, You who bring good tidings to Zion. word good tidings there is often uh, transliterated over into the New Testament as the gospel, good news, good tidings to Zion. You who've got good news, a good message of comfort, what are you to do? You're to go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. What are we to do, people with a great message of comfort, with good news? We're to go up on a high mountain and we're to lift up our voice with a shout, aren't we? We're to make it heard. Now, there's a number of ways that we might think to do this. I mean, I, I used to go to rock concerts and at, at rock concerts, you, uh, the really big ones, they have huge walls of speakers. They go right up and you can go up really close to them and feel the beat, you know, bashing against your, your, your chest because they've just got so much bass coming out of these massive speakers. Is that what we're meant to do? We're meant to just raise our voices and scream at one another and the poor guy in the front row, you know, he gets his eardrums blasted out? No, I think Isaiah is saying 
that we're meant to make this message heard as much as possible. We aren't just to uh, slam it all at one person because, of course, we saw at the beginning that the message is meant to be spoken tenderly. And uh, I think it's quite true that when we speak tenderly to a girl, when we're wooing a girl, we don't yell at her and scream at her. Maybe that comes later on. But, yeah, at first when you're trying to win her over, you speak tenderly to her. You don't raise your voice and, and scream at her. What Isaiah is saying is make sure that you get it out there. Go up on a high mountain. That means so that you can get it out there from as, to as many people as possible. And that's what we try to do as Christians, isn't it? We try to get as many people as we can in the community, into the church to hear the message of God and then we go out to them, we go door knocking, we go to different events that we can try and speak to them about, we go to our families and friends, we speak to them about the good news and then we even with our money we we pay for people to go overseas or go out throughout Australia, we pay for them to take that message of good news and so we are helping it go up on a high mountain and lift up the voice with a shout. That is what we're meant to do. And then it says there in verse 9 also that uh, later on in the verse it says, "Lift lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Now why would Isaiah say do not be afraid? You've got this great message of comfort, it's good news, why would you be afraid to tell it to people? Well it's so often true that we are afraid to tell this message of comfort to others, aren't we? Because as we've looked at previously, it is an offensive message. It says that we cannot do anything for ourselves. The only thing we can do is believe. And we always want to think, oh, there's some good work. I'm not that bad a person. There's something that makes me acceptable to God and gives me a ticket into heaven. But no, that's not the message that we have. And so we are afraid to tell people sometimes. And people are quite hostile to the message. But God says, do not be afraid. Do not be timid. And why? Why should not we be afraid to say, here is your God? Well, that brings me to my my, uh, sixth main point, my last main point, you'll be pleased to hear. My sixth main point is, uh, why should we proclaim the message of comfort and not be afraid? And it's there in verse 10. Verse 10 says, see the Sovereign Lord comes with power. When we proclaim this message, we're not proclaiming it on our own. We've got a powerful God with us, a Sovereign Lord. That word Sovereign is is basically the word Lord in, in the Hebrew and so it means that he's in control of all things. He is the Lord. He is over all things and so we should not be afraid of anything in this world, whether it be human or conditions or uh, uh, climates that we might go into to take the message or animals that may be there. We should not be afraid because God is in complete control of all things and he comes with power and his arm rules for him. His powerful right arm, it rules for him. It doesn't say it rules for uh, him sometimes and at other times he, he, he rules for other uh, powers and authorities, for Satan and the devil and the demons. It doesn't say anything like that. It says it rules for him. When we take this message of comfort, we can't be afraid because we've got this powerful right arm behind us. And then continuing in verse 10 it says, See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. What we do will be rewarded. 
we should not be afraid to share this message of comfort because God comes with a reward and his recompense, his wages, accompanies him. He rewards those who are faithful and true to him and continue to share the message of good news with others. And that may be in this lifetime, it is a wonderful pleasure to be able to share the good news with people and to see them become Christians and that gives us a great reward even now but we also will receive great reward in heaven for what we have done as well. So we should not be afraid. And then it says in verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. God continues to feed us as, as his sheep. The Bible often compares God to a shepherd and, we, and his people to sheep. And so we see there it happening again. He tends his flock like a shepherd. God continues to feed us as we share this message of comfort. The word tending there means to feed the flock. And so God is there feeding us as we go. He gives us the words to say. He gives us the thoughts to think. And he gives uh, the person, the unbeliever, questions to ask. He's always tending his flock uh, with his word. He doesn't leave us alone to starve. And then it says there in verse 11 also that he gathers the lambs in his arms. And that word in the Hebrew for lamb there, it really does mean the baby sheep. It means the young sheep. And so when we're sharing the gospel and we may be really troubled and concerned about doing it and we may think about the suffering that we're experiencing, we should know that we, when we're particularly weak, when we're a young lamb before God, that we are in his arms and it says, and he carries them close to his heart. When we're particularly struggling, when we're particularly suffering, we should know that we are near God's heart. That powerful right arm that we saw in verse 10 rules for him is the same arm that picks up the little lambs, the ones that are suffering, the ones that are really struggling and weak, and he carries them close to his heart. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love the other sheep the really robust ones that are going along really well. He doesn't love them so much. But it's like a mother who may have many children but has a particular child that may struggle with one particular thing, may struggle uh, with some sort of physical disability or may struggle to, uh, with thinking about things and so the mother will look out in the circumstances where that child will struggle and, and really helps that child at those times and it's the same with God he really helps us when we need him most he is close to us and helping us because sometimes I think you know if I lived in a different time I read lots of church history and so many people went to the stake and were burnt for having faith in God and they would not go back on their message on, on believing in God in Jesus Christ and proclaiming the message and I think would I be able to do that I mean would I be able to walk up to a stake, be chained there and feel the flames and not recant, not go back, not deny Christ? And the message is, yes, I would because God would give me the strength to do it. His Holy Spirit would come in abundance and I'd be gathered up in that powerful right arm and he would give me the strength to do it and I'd know that I'm close to his heart and being gently led uh, as he sa it says there in verse 11, he gently leads those that have young. He always leads uh, before us because we know that uh, our God is not a God who leaves us on our own. He feeds us, but he also leads us. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to suffer. He came to this world and suffered uh, throughout his life and then on the cross. 
And so he has gone before us, he leads us, he goes ahead of us and he calls us to pick up our crosses and follow him as well. And so we should never be afraid to share this message of comfort that we have because of the great God who is behind this message. He is the one that is there with us as we share the message. So I'd like to challenge you this morning, have you thought about this? Have you thought about... Uh, I've, I've wanted to comfort you with this great message that you have as God's people, that you uh, have your hard service completed, that your sin has pay, been paid for, that your sins are completely covered. They've been paid in double. They're sufficiently paid. But how are you going in proclaiming this message of comfort? Is there someone that you need to be thinking about this afternoon? Go home and it would be great if every one of us thought about someone that we could share the message of comfort with. It may be a Christian who needs to be reminded of the great truths that they have. Or it may be a non-Christian, a family member who doesn't believe or a friend who doesn't believe. Share the message of comfort with them and do not be afraid and continue to try and get it out as much as possible, this wonderful message that we have. Let us close in speaking with our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great comforter, that we look to so many other things for comfort, but you alone are the one who can truly comfort, the one who gives true salvation, the one whose word will never fail. We pray that we'll continue to trust in your word that we will not doubt and that we will uh, take it on board in such a way that we want to share it with as many people as possible, that we want to see people repent of their sins and produce good fruit. We pray that you will give us opportunities to share this message of comfort, that you will quell any fears that may be in our hearts about sharing the message And we pray that you will give us endurance for those times when we suffer for sharing the message of comfort, that we may lose family and friends because of this message that we share with them. But we pray that we'll know that we are close to you and that you're always caring for your sheep as the great shepherd. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.